The Athletic. My feeling on Harry Kane, he kind of seems sort of impervious to circumstances around moments in a game or, or, or the context of a match. But, and Jack will verify this because I messaged him and said before the penalty was taken, he, I knew he wasn't going to score that second penalty. Hello everybody and welcome, yes, welcome back to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Gone for about four weeks while we concentrated on the World Cup, but now very much back and I'm sure to everyone's utter, utter delight. Certainly mine, I'm Danny Kelly, and I'm joined by the A-team, with all due respect. Until Eccleshire gets his act together, we'll call these the A-team. They're from the Athletic, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. Well, the Winter World Cup in Qatar is over. And literally a few hours ago, as we record this, Lionel Messi, I don't want to say he's cemented his place in history. He's already a great player, but he's done something he really wanted to do. Captain Argentina, to the trophy. Dramatic win in the shootout over France. But it's time for us to turn our attention back to club football and back to the mighty, mighty Tottenham Hotspur and their Boxing Day clash against Brentford. Um, That's just a a week away. First, uh, we'll also be discussing Spurs players in the World Cup, Antonio Conte's contract, and then a look ahead to the meeting with Brentford. A big hello to Jack. How are you, Jack? All right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm really pleased to be back. Yeah, good. And James, what about you? All good? Yeah, I'm uh, very glad we're back. I've missed it. I've missed you, Danny. Yeah, and and I believe you. And why wouldn't you, as I say? You're only human. Um, James, of course, is, is recording... Um, this with two pieces of very necessary equipment, headphones, so we can all see and hear each other, um, and a, a very large-looking, because of course he's a huge man, a large-looking uh, NHS crutch. What have you done to yourself? I don't know why I'm holding this up again. It doesn't really help the listeners. No, I'm, I'm just saying, imagine if you were writing a story about a slightly lame giant. That's the sort of crutch he's holding now. So the two things that happened to me during this World Cup, one, I discovered I'm actually six foot six, not six foot five, and two, I had to get this massive crutch for a tall person, because I've torn my adductor, which is the same injury as Rodrigo Bentancur got against South Korea. And I did it 24 hours before. So it's a race to see who's going to be Premier League fit first. I mean, you realise, of course, that now I must probe further your abductor. Um, how? Adductor. A- abductor is a different muscle. Okay. Ad- ad- I've got no formal medical training. I think I told you this before. Now, what, what, um, how did you do it? It was one of those innocuous ones, but those are often the worst ones, aren't they? I, I just like sort of stumbled, I'm not a doctor. rolled my ankle outwards, and then my knee yeah. kind of went outwards. Did you do this celebrating a Kingstonian goal? No, I li- li- literally just walking, just walking around. No, there's no interesting story. It's really pathetic. Jack, um, you were out there working, of course, for the Athletic. Tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I was there for about a month. I got back on. Thursday evening so after the semi-finals and yeah it was a I thought it was a really interesting experience I uh I went in there with the view that the you know this World Cup should not have happened and I didn't see anything to dissuade me from that view uh at the same time and I appreciate that you know this does not carry any moral weight I had you know I enjoyed a lot of it you know the football. The football was fantastic. I uh, prof- professionally to cover a World Cup is a really interesting thing to do. Uh, I certainly wouldn't say that. Uh, oh, because I had a nice time, it was therefore good. Which I know is is genuinely a viewpoint which I've seen expressed a bit in the in the last few days or during the course of the tournament. I don't think that's true at all. In fact, I think that you know you often at something like this you have a nice time. Be- 
well, the reasons that you have a nice time are the reasons that it's bad. It's because it's it's such a hierarchical place and there's so many people looking after you and it's very controlled. It's very you're living a very mediated experience, which thousands of people are delivering for you. But yeah, I did I did find it really interesting. I you know I watched the final on the sofa from in Peckham yesterday, but I uh, as a as a as a football tournament, I thought it was kind of unbeatable, really. I thought it was probably the best certainly the best final of my lifetime by a mile and maybe one of the best World Cups overall. It, it was, although uh, I would say, yes, there were, there were great matches, fantastic drama and not necessarily a huge amount of great football. The teams were very well matched. They're all very fit, of course, except for Benton Kerr um, because the, it's the middle of the season and I, th- I thought all of that as well. Um, speaking of uh, highly mediated experiences brought to you by armies of flunkies, um, I watched. Uh, I watched the first. Uh, I was on my honeymoon. Um, uh, I watched uh, some of it in New York, where not a hint that the World Cup is either there, na- playing played now, or is going to be there in four years' time. Um, they were much more worried about the appointment of Jeff Saturday as the uh, coach of the Indianapolis Colts, um, which seems to have shocked America to its very DNA. Um, and I, I, I watched, you know, I couldn't be unfair and watch all the games, but I watched as much, as much as I could there. Then uh, Alex, my wife, was working on the Literary Festival, on the queue, on the Queen Mary coming back. So there I watched um, most of the games. I couldn't watch it in the, in the so-called British pub. Um, far too many people um, screaming stuff about football at a TV screen. I watched it in, in the cabin, um, and they, they had the FIFA feed, um, which in many ways was superior to the coverage um, that you see on our on our TV stations, and because it consists entirely until the ball is kicked off of shots of the ground, the players, the dressing room, the warm up where they had drone cameras in and out of the players while they warmed up. It was fascinating, um, and then you know a familiar voice speaks in English, and off we go off we go with the kickoff. Um, then I was back here, um, and with exception in the air chaos in the UK when we were having to drive through the night. Um, being driven through the night, to be absolutely fair, um, from Southampton Airport to Heathrow, um, I watched the England-France game on my phone. Um, so I've had a, I've had a very mixed bag of a World Cup, but I've enjoyed the football thoroughly, never losing sight of the fact that I never for one minute believed it should be there. And and it was cringeworthy, that closing ceremony. Um, first of all, Infantino cannot keep his beak out of anything, can he? Um, and then when they put the garment on Messi and you realise that Messi cannot, even if he wants to, couldn't resist because, of course, the Emir pays him a million dollars a week to uh, to dance to his tune. You don't want to be a killjoy. And I mean that. You, the, the joy of the winning team was unconfined. And it's an amazing story, um, the drama of which in the last... Hour after, let's not. We mustn't lose sight. The first hour was rubbish because France couldn't couldn't pass the football to each other. Um, but the last hour was simply an, um, why football is, as Jack pointed out, the most popular human pastime ever. Let's move on to then um, a quick register, if we can, of how the Spurs players, since it is of course the View from Lane is the Spurs podcast, have got on in Qatar. I suppose we'll start with with the captain. Because Hugo Lloris was, you know, there was a piece of history there for him to make um, in that he would have become the first man to captain not one but two World Cup winning sides. Um, I mean, I thought, I thought he, did, he, he did pretty well. Um, though, does anybody, James, it's so difficult, isn't it? 
he's now got the reputation that he never saves a penalty. He's actually saved, in open play, I don't mean in shootouts, he saved about 25 penalties in his entire career. But he's been playing for a long, long time. No one has any great faith in Ugo as a penalty stopper, do they? I don't know, actually. I mean, I, I had, I guess I hadn't in my mind drawn a, a, a distinction between shootout penalties and penalties kind of in the run of the 90-minute game. Um, and the one that comes to mind for Spurs is the Aguero one in the in the Champions League in 2019. That's probably the biggest... feels like that's probably one of the biggest ones he must have faced in his club career. I don't, I don't think he was being dreadful. I mean, it, it, was a, it was an incredibly stark contrast watching that shootout yesterday when you see Emi Martinez doing everything he can to put that, that player out of their stride. And Lloris, by comparison, is kind of quite meek, quite, you know, kind of withdrawn, does, doesn't really seem to uh, uh, involve himself in any of that stuff. And he, he might feel that actually trying to do that, it, it becomes a distraction for him more than anything else. But it felt like there were some savable penalties in there, I think. It's also a simple fact, and you know I love him. Um, it's a simple fact that he is much smaller than the average goalkeeper now. And the sight of Martinez, who's a, a unit um, in the goal, was different. If you're, because I mean, that spider cam they use for the penalties now from behind, you're suddenly getting a much clearer view than the semi side on we used to use of the size of the goalkeeper within the frame of the actual goal. And Martinez, A, was making himself personality big, but he's also just a physical lump um, to get the ball past. That rolling the ball out, like throwing the ball away before Chimeni took it, never in a million years would Luis do that. It's just not in his, it's just not in his, it's not in his nature, is it? And nor should it be tolerated. You can't have the goalkeepers running the penalty shootouts. And I did wonder at one stage, what if he gets a red card here? What happens? Because then you're into uncharted waters. In open play, we know that one of the uh, outfield players could make the trudge from the halfway line, put on the big, the oversized gloves um, and, 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 and go and go for the penalties. Is it true for penalty shootouts? Has anyone thought about this? Does it matter? After the game, Jack, um, Lloris, who, let's be fair, he's not the kind of man who ever th- slaps his thigh with delight. Um, and he has got an amazing... I mean, first of all, let's be fair, he's won the World Cup. He's won the Nations League. Um, he has got an amazing selection of runners-up medals now. League Cup, he's got the, the Premier League... He's got the Champions League. He's got the World Cup uh, the, and the, the runners-up in the Euros in 2016. Amazing. Um, I, I wonder, given his status within French football, I wonder whether he probably... He looks to me like he, a man who's thinking about bowing out now. Yeah, I mean, he can't have too many more cycles left. I mean, it's... I think the assumption is that this will be the end of Didier Deschamps and he'll be replaced by Zinedine Zidane. And I don't know whether Zidane would want Luis to carry on. I imagine he probably would. Maybe he would do one more one more cycle to to usher in the new bloke. But yeah, he can't have. He must be feeling like a lot of those players that this is his last chance to to win a second World Cup. Um, let's talk about the person who did win. Um, you have to laugh, don't you? Christian Romero um, of Argentina just uh, saved his best till last. I think it's fair to say, Jack. Um, not just um, his best performance at the World Cup. But of course, a top shithousery performance as well. I've got an example for you, but obviously right from the moment he stuck the elbow into Larice's gut, you know, here we go, here we go, Christian. I thought he was sensational yesterday. I thought he was, um, I thought that's one of the best I've ever seen him play. I think it's so, like, 
to play like he does for Argentina, I think it's probably harder than it is to play like that for Tottenham because for Tottenham, he's playing the three, he's playing with guys he plays with every week. You know, for Argentina, he's, I mean, I think they had one game when they played a back three, but generally he's playing with one of two centre-backs with Otamendi. And Otamendi is as rash as Romero, but less talented and less quick. So it's in theory, it should be a bit of a recipe for disaster. And so he has to be absolutely perfect. And he was absolutely perfect. Like as ever with, with Romero, there were about three tackles, which I think another player would probably have got booked or sent off for. But he just has a knack of getting away with it somehow. Uh, you know, there's usually ones where I think an, a, the, somebody else had already, someone was offside, so he thinks I've got a freebie here and just clatters straight through, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I thought he was he was a joy to watch yesterday. I thought he was also, so I, I, the last game that I attended was their semi-final against Croatia on Tuesday night at Lusail, and he was amazing in that game as well. I think he's had a brilliant World Cup, which has really just reminded people what I think we might have lost sight of a bit in the last few months, which is that he's a bit, he, he, he kind of looks like a once-in-a-generation player, or at least a once-in-a-generation gen, defender, Romero. And he, I think he's certainly got what he, uh, he's got the rewards for his amazing ability and hard work. What I will say, and I hope I'm not um, um, making any of my journalistic colleagues look lax here, I haven't seen mentioned anywhere his extraordinary contribution to Argentina's second goal, Di Maria's goal, the end-to-end goal. Watch it back. Um, Mbappe runs at Christian Romero, pushes the ball past him. There's a slight tussle for the ball, and Christian Romero, on the right-hand corner of the back of the uh, of the of the Argentinian penalty area commits an obstruction. Not enough to get the game stopped, but enough to stop Mbappe getting another touch of the ball. That is the last French touch before the goal the ball goes in at the other end. He does enough defensively and slightly illegally that his contribution he's never gonna get an assist for it, but the goal wouldn't have happened if he hadn't done what he did to Mbappe. Um I, I watched it and thought God, this fella, you know, I, I feel almost biased because he is a Spurs player. Um, but, you know, you have to say what you see. It was just incredible what he did. Harry Kane. Now, of course, we have much more faith that Harry will get his head down. Um, but having made a wonderful start to the season, goals-wise, um, he is then the pantomime villain for England's unlucky exit. They were a better team against France. Let's tell the truth about that. Um and that penalty, I understand, is going to haunt him for the rest of his life until he ends up on a Pizza Hut advert with a paper bag over his head. Um, I'm not so sure about all of that. I think um, he will understand the magnitude of what happened. England were unlucky. And uh, James, I-, I hope and believe that that he, um, having scored a few goals in the World Cup and now equal with Wayne Rooney as England's leading goal scorer, will get on with the business of breaking Jimmy Greaves' record sometime in the next three games, I hope. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, what is it, five or six goals away from that, I think, isn't he? So that does give him quite an immediate target. My, my feeling on Harry Kane, I'm sure I've said this on this podcast before, he, he kind of seems sort of impervious to circumstances around, like, like moments in the game or, or, or the context of a match or whatever else. It kind of feels like he just gets on with whatever happens. But... Uh, and Jack will verify this because I messaged him and said before the penalty was taken, he I, I knew he wasn't going to score that second penalty. And, and there's been quite a lot of like analysis on whether or not he should have taken it. And people kind of poo-pooing the suggestion that he shouldn't because he's England's best penalty taker or, or the best penalty taker in the squad. And you know the, the captain and the centre forward and whatever else. But just had a sense that doing that twice against your mate you've played with for 10 years in a game like that is just so difficult. 
It's, my, it's just the mind games upon mind games, isn't it? You just added a whole other layer on top the second I'm time. I'm not making it up as well. As I said, we were driving from Southampton to Heathrow um, in, the, in, in the dark and watching the game on my phone. And when we got the second penalty, herself turned to me uh, and in a croaky voice said, he's going to miss this, isn't he? And I turned to her and said, yes, he is. Um, I knew too, that he, for whatever reason. In fact, well, well he, he, he since said that he doesn't take a lot of penalties in training against Loris. Um, but even the first penalty where he stopped in his run-up to change the position of the ball tells you it wasn't a normal set of circumstances for the England captain. Um, and the second one, you're right, he's trying to outguess somebody. Um, and, and there it goes. I don't think he was trying to outguess him. I think he was the most persuasive example. Uh, his explanation that I've read on this is that Kane kind of knew that Lloris would go the right way, and so rather than just going, rather than just hitting it normally, he actually rushes it a bit. If you see, he takes a lot less time between taking the first kick and then taking the second kick, which is a lot quicker. And he clearly goes higher and harder for extra power to get it right into the sort of ceiling of the net. And in doing that, his his kind of breaking his normal his normal process, and that's why he skied it. He skied it like he did. Have you also heard the suggestion that the ball was uh, was evidently quite light, or or comparatively light to like Premier League balls, Champions League balls, and that, and that may have been a factor in him hitting the ball over. Basically, he's he's gone for more power to try and to try and compensate for the fact that Larissa's going the right way, and then basically miscalculated and put it over the bar. And supposedly that's the reason. Or the theory is that's the reason that Argentina yesterday in the final, I think all of their penalties went low. I think they purposefully put all four penalties they took in, into the bottom corner rather than going high. Um, Eric Dyer has less to uh, to try and digest. Um, he's back in the England squad. He came on a couple of times, did okay. Um, and I guess his, his big, big job will be to knit, knit together Jack again, the relationship that he had very well until he got his... He's England call up two months ago with Christian Romero. Yeah, he's got to get back to first half of the season, Dyer. Uh, it'll actually be interesting to see where where he comes back in because remember he kind of did he lose his? Is it fair to say that he lost his place at central uh, central centre back just before the World Cup because Longley was playing there more often and Dyer was often playing out in the Romero role instead on the right of the three. Um, and if, you know, it might well be that if Romero is not ready to play the first few games of the, of the restart, maybe we'll have Dyer in the. It'll be Longley in the middle, Dyer on the right again, or maybe it'll be Dyer in the middle, Sanchez on the right again. But I wouldn't be surprised. Depends if, on whether Davies is fit, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some sort of. They'll have to find some arrangement like that if there's no Romero for Brentford. Let's move on to another player then who um, has done. The complete Spurs. Richarlison was at various times just brilliant in the World Cup. I was so pleased for him. Um, people talking about his pressing, um, and you know, people saying, you know, he does. was it one of the? I think it was Graham Souness, God bless him, who said, "Well, he doesn't really do that at home, does he?" Sorry, it was his pressing that kept Everton up last season. Nothing else. That's what it was. His enthusiasm at the front of Everton's team kept a whole blinking historic football club in the Premier League. So naturally, he's come home with a six-week injury requiring a giant crutch like James's. What a shame. I really enjoyed watching him play. And all I could think about, as, as I suspect most Spurs fans would say, was how you fit Richarlison, Kane... Son and Kulusevski into one Kane, team. Kane plays 10. Yeah, you can do that. And then the two in midfield. But I guess you then need to play a back four. Yeah, 
It's probably the only way to make that work. What sacrilege! What heresy! What team would even dream of playing four at the back? Yeah, it was. It, uh, yeah, it was really nice to watch him play. It's a great story. He's obviously like a great bloke. So moving to see how much it meant to him and it was great to see like the reaction like on, on social media like you know kids in brazil doing that pigeon dance and stuff it's amazing and the volley the volley was one kind of great goal and then the one two three four in the box was arguably um until we got the goal for uh Di maria in the final the best football goal of the tournament absolutely beautiful um i'm really i'm really i i'm I'm, you know, I know the, what you have to say now. If you're a manager, you go, yes, but we're particularly upset for the player. No, I'm particularly up, upset for me, a Spurs fan, that we're not going to have him for half of what remains of the season. It's a real, real shame. Yeah, that is the thing, isn't it? You want him to kind of come back fresh from that, you know, with the heartbreak, but also with the hunger to to kind of continue doing that in the Premier League. And obviously, we're going to have to wait for sounds like at least a few weeks. The heartbreak. You just play Neymar if you're Brazilian. You know, you know, you know how this works. He's the hero, or he's the zero. In that team, um, I, I shouldn't be surprised that Ivan Perisic was very, very good at times, playing in 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 his unfamiliar position sometimes, but also playing as an out and out forward or the wide midfielder. All I'd say about that, Jack, is that those of us who are you know we're so lucky that midfield four of uh, Perisic, um, uh, Modric, Kovacic, and Brozovic. That midfield four, we ain't going to see the like of them in a hurry again. The running, the technique, the knowledge, the immense, almost DNA depth, brainiac way of, that they bring to playing football. Absolutely astonishing. And of course, good enough to take a small country into the semi-final yet again. Yeah, yeah, they were uh, they were they were really impressive in their own way. I thought Perisic's, Perisic's highlight was that uh, header against Japan. Amazing, yeah. In the uh, that that's the kind of thing that I was hoping he would do more for Tottenham, but he hasn't actually done yet because he's such a good athlete and his ability to kind of get into the box late. James is smirking at me as I say no, this. Uh, it's because I, uh, I thought we were about to get into another a moan about Emerson Royale not being able to cross the ball. But actually, oh, that no, no, goal we can crossed, do that later. That that goal came from a ball from the right side of centre back, so that's that was Lovren. So actually, that's Romero who should be playing that ball, which does feel possible. Yeah, like that's kind of what you want from Perisic, isn't it? It's late arriving into the box, using his physicality. Uh, it was a fantastic header. It was his second best header in the tournament, by the way. His best header was in the playoff. Do you see that on Saturday from the set piece where Vardio scored? He made that run off the ball, and Modric popped the ball over the top to it in the free kick. And he like flicked this like header across. It was it was amazing. So so a good assist and a goal with his with his head works for me. Yeah, and, and as I say with with their four hundred and fifty caps between the four of them, and and this is you know a Croatia that continues. Gavardio could have been one of the best defenders at the World Cup. I thought the Celtic right back was absolutely brilliant. Their goalkeeper. Um, it is fa- is fantastic. Um, we had players who went out by we, I mean Spurs in the group stage. Some went through. I thought they were. I thought that, that, that you know because there was no build up, so the, the coaches couldn't cover up the flaws in teams. The Korean Republic, um, their absolute dependence on Son, who's just having a very very difficult few months. Let's let's be honest about it. Um, was exposed. Um, they were no good. I didn't think. Um, Benton Kerr was. Brilliant in, in the games that you but Uruguay still haven't quite worked out that he got to start with Darwin Nunes right up front and stop messing about with that goal, so-called golden generation. Um, Wales were, you know, their great achievement was to qualify 
and to watch Ramsey and Bale go over the top at the same moment was actually painful. I forgot to mention Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, so good for Spurs, uh, it, well, always, it seems to me. Um, but in a Denmark team that um, hit, hit a wall, their qualification seems to have been the, the, the high watermark for them as well. Um, and finally, of the players who did go to the World Cup, I, I don't even, he said so little appearances for Spurs. Jack will help me out here. The 20-year-old Senegalese midfielder, Pape Sarr. The thing that surprised me most is that he was taking all their set pieces. Like He took, took like a free kick against England. I was like, really, I was amazed that like he came off the bench. He's like twenty years old. He's got, I think, like kind of four caps before that. Not played loads of club football, and he's the one taking like attacking set pieces. If you watch some of his, so I've actually watched, I think, all of his goals for Mats. And if you watch Sars' goals for Mats, he is an amazing striker of the ball. Like, there's a few goals where he just bangs it in from about 20, 30 yards with an incredible whip. And maybe they th- maybe they think they can that they could take advantage of that. But yeah, he's another one who uh yeah, I think that was the first I think he came on in the England Senegal game, right? Because I think that's the first time I've ever seen him play, despite, you know, the fact that Tottenham signed him whenever it was, eighteen months ago. When he started taking the free kicks, I thought maybe this boy has hidden talents. And it uh, reminded me of uh, when you lot were still at school, uh, when Glenn Hoddle signed Goran Bunyevcevic. Uh, to play for Spurs, and in the press conference described him as the Balkan Beckenbauer, um, a talent that he kept hid for his entire time at Spurs. I'll just he de- he described him as that because that sounds like something that a ju- that a newspaper journalist would say. Glenn, would no, it be fair to say? No, no, he's the he's the wow. Glenn said he's the Balkan Beckenbauer. As I wow. say, a a talent that he kept very discreet during his time in English football. If you what's that Twitter account called that tweets all the the goals like on this day? Is it Tottenham history or something? Whenever whenever you see a goal from like 2001, 2002 or 2002, 2003, Benjevic is like always involved. So I think with the benefit of hindsight, if you watch it back, I think he was very good. Goals at which end? <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. I'm here. Well, no, I'm here for the rest of the season. I was going to say I'm here all week. I'm here for the rest of the season, which is just great. And do either of you? I mean, of course, we were so distant from everything that isn't to do with the World Cup during the last four or five weeks. Why not? We're football fans. Um, does anyone know what Kuliszewski and Bissouma and Sessignon and Davinson Sanchez and the rest have been doing with their time? The, the club occasionally puts out a picture of them on those sort of warm-up bikes, and that's all you ever see. I mean, I know Antonio Conte took an extended holiday, um, and, you know, he perfectly deserves that. There's no problem with that. Um, then he comes back. It must... <sighs> It must be quite frightening for the ones who get left behind, given the sort of um, the levels he demands and the effort he demands that he's got his BDI on just a half a dozen of you. I wouldn't want to be going to work there. Yeah, so I think that those who are not in part of the World Cup would have had a bit of time off and they came back and it's basically just been training, training, training with the guys who've, who've come, who've been knocked out of the World Cup. I think generally the guys who got knocked out would have had about eight to ten days of rest depending on when they got knocked out. So if you got knocked out earlier, you'd probably have a bit more rest. And if you got knocked out later, they probably want you back a bit quicker. Uh, that eight to 10 day rule, I mean, like with, with Luis and Romero, I don't think that eight to 10 rule day rule is going to apply, but let, let's wait and see when they come back. I mean, I don't think Tottenham have been too badly affected in the end. It probably could have been worse. I think it would have been worse if Kane was in the final, for example. Yeah, they, I mean, in, in, in Russia, they had 11 players in the semi-finals. 
Um, the, whole, the whole squad had gone into the latter stages of the World Cup. There must have been a moment as well as the kids and those left behind were running around um, on the training ground and some of them did something quite good. And Antonio Conte went, who, who is that, please? And the other fellow got the clipboard out and flicked through the pages. He's called Jed Spence. There must have been that moment as well. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, obviously, everyone's got high expectations about Kulisevsky because... Uh, you know, he didn't really play much before the World Cup because of his hamstring injury. But what will be interesting to see will be guys who were like maybe on the fringes in the first half of the season, but who haven't been to the World Cup. So I'm really thinking of Spence, Skip, Lucas to varying degrees. I don't know if I'm missing anyone. Tanganga, I suppose. Hill. Um, Doherty, arguably, didn't actually play that much really in the first half of the season. If those guys will maybe, if they will like be in better condition than they were in the first half, if Conte will call on them more, or if they will have to bear a little bit of the burden while they wait for you know uh, some of their more World Cup players or injured players to get back up to speed. I think that's been a thorough look back at what the Spurs players did in the World Cup. Maybe when the dust settles, we'll see other things. We might see, we might see the, the club captain. Um, retiring. We'll, we'll, we'll see all that in the near future. Um, we'll have a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a quick look at the latest situation regards Antonio Conte's employment. Um, and we'll look forward to the game, the return of Premier League football. I think Spurs are the early kickoff. I think they might, if Harry Kane, if they lose the toss, might be the first English footballer to touch the ball again as we get going with the second half of the season. Yeah, welcome back, everybody, to The View from the Lane. Um, I, I have enjoyed doing the podcast again after a few weeks off, though now there's a weary part of me coming here, and I'm looking at you, Jack. I know you've only been back a few days from the Middle East, um, but the elephant in the room, the ghost in the machine, um, the uh, packet of crisps that hangs inside the crisp machine, so you have to bang it back and forth to make it drop down after you've paid your money, continues to be Antonio Conte's contract. Everything seems linked to it. The spending that I suppose might or might do in January, the Harry Kane situation. Has there been any progress at all um, between the powers that be and, and the manager? So contract talks restarted last week, last Monday, uh, after a bit of a delay i think they're meant to be the previous week but fabio paracci was busy so at, at the moment there's no news the position well so the first thing to remember is that tottenham have an option in their favor they can trigger an option to extend conte's contract into the next season but you won't do that against conte's will he's just not the sort of bloke who's going to respond to that is he tottenham i think are confident that they can agree a deal that said it's there is also as well as some of that positive noise there's also a bit of negative noise around that i've picked up over the course of the last few weeks, it's fair to say that you know the issues that have been flagged in the past. You know, do Tottenham share Antonio Conte's comp, uh, ambition? Do they want to win? Will they spend money in January? All you know, I, I'm hearing that these are these are issues that are forming part of the negotiation, and that Conte wants assurances on. Um, I don't think the Tottenham fans need to be too worried at this point, simply because you know we've been here before. You know, and, and you only have to remember back seven months to the back, you know, April May of last season, where there was lots of negative noises coming out. Oh, I don't know if, about whether or not Conte would stay uh, at 
and it, frankly at points it looked like he he it kind of suited him for the idea to be out there that he wouldn't stay now of course he did stay so I don't think it's I don't think people should get too worried about some of the negative speculation that exists but that negative speculation does exist. James, how important is it to get this sorted out? Or uh... Yeah, as important as it has been in the last 200 times we've had this conversation over the last 18 months. Look, for, for the sake of everyone's sanity, I think it would be good for this to be sorted relatively quickly. And I completely understand Conte's position if he is kind of trying to put the club over a barrel in terms of what they spend in January or what they do in January. We all know it's January's a very difficult time to buy players, of course, we all know that buying players off the back of a World Cup is often a mugs game. And we know this is the most complicated season in football history. So only one club could be contemplating a splurge in those circumstances. Come on down, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, man, it, it, you know, Paratici may be a genius if he's got any spare time to, you know, uh, to help Spurs out. Um, but the, this is a complicated transfer window coming up, isn't it? Um, and I do expect to buy at least two players because it'll be part of the satisfying Conte, won't it, James? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they did. I mean, that that is based purely on uh, on recent history rather than any kind of insider information. But I, I, you know, they, they went out and bought two very good players last January. I mean, if they can if they can do something like that again this time, we'll be laughing, right? If you can plug two plug two gaps with two players of that quality or somewhere approaching that quality. Um, it's probably easier said than done. I think that was an amazing trick to pull off, um, and uh, you know. But then they also, you know, Christian Romero. We paid a lot. I suppose pay, paying a lot of money for Christian Romero, but you know, he appears to be worth every penny. Um, so uh, the, the the danger with Christian is that if he carries on playing like he did in the World Cup final, um, Levy will start to get tempted by you know, other offers, shall we say? Um, which takes us to the football that has actually happened. I should mention, because you may have been momentarily distracted by events in Qatar. Uh, Spurs beat Motherwell 4-0 on a friendly. Um, goals there from Hill, Kuliszewski, and a, a brace, as they say, from Matt Doherty. Um, there's, a come, there's a friendly coming up against the League One side Nice on Wednesday, the, 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 the December 21st. And then on Boxing Day, it is the early kickoff. I think it's the first Premier League game we come back. 12.30 kickoff um, at the uh, the GTEC uh, there in West London and um, as I say if it provided he's fit and we we lose the toss Harry Kane will go from missing that penalty to restarting English football hard though James and Jack to work out exactly what kind of Spurs team we will have because you know I mean, you, know, you can see Larice coming back and saying, yes, I want to play. It's his birthday as well, that 26th Boxing Day. Is that right? 30, he'll be 36? Yeah. Well, anyone with a, anyone with a birthday um, in Christmas week is genuinely regarded as a great thing in society. 23rd, everybody. It'll be very interesting because, it, it, by definition, it's a combination of players who haven't played together for a month. Some are coming back from injury. Some have been away at the World Cup and suffered almost universally disappointment, except uh, for uh, for Christian. Um, be very interested to see what kind of side he puts out, Jack. Yeah, so I think we can. I think it's probably unlikely Romero will play. I think so. Maybe we'll see. Maybe it'll be Dyer on the right. Maybe it'll be Sanchez on the right. Uh, hopefully, the right wing backs will be fit. Maybe Sessegnon will play on the left. I, I'm not sure what the current status of Benton Kerr 
uh, in terms of his readiness. So maybe it'll be Not a ready, game. I don't think. For me, one of the big questions going into, the, I mean, uh, of course, everyone's going to be excited to see Kulisewski. I'm really looking forward to watching him play. For me, I think one of the big, the the player I'm kind of more concerned about for the second half of the season is not Kane because I think Kane will just be so desperate to play he'll be desperate to play and score goals it's Son like Son was really bad in the first half of the season and I don't know whether that was to do with legginess from last season or half an eye on the World Cup coming up but he was no good in the World Cup either the mask did that I don't think the mask helped you need yeah that's true he you know, he had that that facial injury against, at, the, at the very end of the season. And I just don't know. Like, I, I just don't... I mean, maybe all this... He'll want to put all this stuff behind him and he'll come back and he'll start scoring goals and it'll be back to good old Son. Or maybe it'll be the Son in the first half of this season. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know which way that'll go, but I'd be kind of anxious to see how how that plays out. And with Rashalos's injury, they've got no one to directly threaten his place and maybe he'll use that as a positive as well. Every human being is different. Some of us respond... But equally... If one out of Son, Kane or Kulisevsky gets injured again, and, you know, it's going to be very busy January, even with Spurs out of the League Cup, then Spurs, you know, is maybe back to the 3-5-2, back to Lucas, any of the, you know, any of the debates that we were having at the back end of last season. Well, if he, if he try, if, if, if Sessegnon's fit, I'd still be quite happy with Perisic playing wide, even at 33 years of age and in the Premier League. Um, as you said, he has um, the, it's, it's a combination of, of, of strength um, and just a motor that just keeps going. I'd be happy to see him playing further forward than he has been for Spurs so far. Um, I hope you two don't think I'm a sap when I say it really has been a joy to work with you again. Um, it's been too long, and hopefully we can drive. Um, now we get back in. We're doing one or two more, um, and then in the new year we're back to two um, podcasts a week, which I think is the bare, the bare minimum that the public can uh, can stand for us to do. Thank you both very, very much indeed. Let me remind you, that if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, um, that you can uh, sign up to read all the Brilliant Spurs co- coverage this season, as well as everything else on the site. As I always say, that is a mountain of stuff. I want to thank you all for listening. We'll be back again next week after we played Brentford. And uh, those of you who know my work over the years know at Christmas, I always, on all my platforms, Um, play out with the same thing so to wish you all um, a really happy happy Christmas if that's at all possible look out for others as well Um, and we'll be playing out with the great Bahamian folk singer um, perhaps the most out of tune and drunk folk singer of all time but I think he's a genius this is Joseph Spence and Santa Claus is coming to town God bless you all happy Christmas The Athletic.